Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez, I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everybody, to another amazing and awesome episode of the Aviation Mentors Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today, we have a special treat. We have my good friend, Anthony Jirasi, the CEO of Stratus Financial. He's going to be talking about one of his recent trips uh, to Las Vegas at uh, the international airport there and talking about what it's like to fly into a Bravo and uh, some of the things that can go awry uh, when on getting there and when leaving. So I'm really excited to talk to him about this. I remember talking to him right after and he enlightened me about a few things. I was like, I didn't even know about that. So uh, it's a pretty interesting trip. And uh, just so just so everybody knows, uh, Anthony is a commercial multi-injured rated pilot, but he is only a private pilot single, uh, FYI. Uh, he also has an instrument rating. Yeah, Anthony, it is fine. <laughs> uh, he also has an instrument rating and, uh, and he has his uh, AGI. And Anthony, do you have your IGI also? I do. And his IGI. So he's got two things I don't have, and he's very proud of that. Trust me. I am. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us today, Anthony. Ah, thanks for having me. Always fun. Yeah. So, uh, Anthony, it's uh, good to see you again after our bright and early morning meeting anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> you had that trip going to Vegas. When was that? That was last month. So uh, November of 2023. Okay, cool. You usually tell me about all your trips. So I wasn't sure about this one because I yep. didn't get all the info on it. Vegas is a pretty normal trip for me, you know, going flight in and out. Now it's Harry Reid. I always want to refer to it McCarran still, but of course they had to change the name a couple of years ago. Yeah, but you're a fan of uh, you're a fan of multi-engines, clearly, since you only have your private uh, single. So we're equal on that front, just not all the other laundry lists you just listed off. So thanks for that, <laughs> I appreciate you guys rubbing in. Makes me feel so much better. He did call and tell me about the experience right after, but he didn't call and tell you. So what does that say? <laughs> you know... I hope it says a lot about your guys' friendship. Should be should be a little closer. <laughs> it's Anthony's first time hearing those sound effects, everybody. <laughs> All right. The end of my sound effects for now. Soundboard. Please don't get them started. <laughs> uh, but you know, you're flying to that Bravo, and there was something special about this trip getting into the Bravo. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I've been seeing this now a lot, especially in the Vegas area for Almost the past year, I want to say. So it's been it's been about six months. And, and what's going on there is, I guess there's a lot of congestion in, in the Vegas area from air traffic flow. Uh, so at first it was just Henderson, uh, and then Vegas took part. And now you even see it in North Vegas. Uh, what's called a prior permission clearance required. And, and all that really means is they want to be able to plan for the traffic that's inbound. And so you have to let one of the participating you know, FBOs know that you're coming in and scheduling. And then you get what's called a PPR number, a prior permission requested uh, number that you actually put in your flight plan. Got it. That's pretty cool. Um, Brian, have you heard about that or, or used that before? I heard about it when Anthony told me about it about a year ago. <laughs> and uh, I've used it one time and uh, I was actually flying with him. So I didn't actually do it. He did it. But uh, we had to use it then. But I've never actually used it before, bef- before that or actually knew that it existed, to be honest. So... I mean, in aviation, you're always learning uh, every day of my life whenever I'm flying. And, and uh, uh, Anthony and I did a trip all the way to, uh, to Austin, Texas for a meeting uh, a week or two ago. And uh, always learning something on that trip, too. Learned about pressurization a little bit. So uh, always learning, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. That's pretty cool. Um, but I know that, you know, especially since you called Brandon and not on every trip, 
there was something that happened. So what happened uh, at that airport? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. Getting there into Vegas was a pretty much a non-event outside of that prior permission clearance requirement. Uh, and then once once we landed, you know, I, I had I had uh, friends there to meet up with and then uh, some meetings. And then coming back, as I said, I've done this many, many times from even Harry Reid, so it wasn't anything I thought differently. Uh, I was taxiing, got on the runway. I was given takeoff clearance to do so. And then as soon as I started taking off, there was something funky with my left engine. So I think you guys know, they may, I think we may have talked about it on a prior show. I fly a Piper Aerostar. Uh, I love that plane so much. Uh, the mid-engine, mid-wing engines is just uh, such a huge design. But there's generally a governor that, that prevents me from, from if you will, uh, going over the red line on the manifold pressure. And so as I applied full power on my throttles, um, you know, I, I've done this. 200 times before uh the left engine for whatever oversped and so it was it was showing like 35 40 inches manifold pressure and i could tell not only was it registering on the dial though i was feeling the pull of the plane going to the right and as uh my multi-engine instructor told me once if you don't like it you close the throttles and you try again abort 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 yep and so I, I uh, first, of course, you know, you aviate, navigate, communicate, right? I closed throttles first, very first thing I did, got control back of the plane. And then I communicated with uh, Las Vegas Tower saying I'm boarding takeoff. And, you know, they gave me instructions to taxi off the runway uh, and then asked for, you know, you know, my intentions. I said, well, if I can get somewhere, just I want to do a run up and see what's going on. Um, so I do a run up, you know, I wanted to see, could I recreate this? Because that was showing me, is it, is it, is it one off? Is there a real problem with the plane? Because there's a real problem with the plane. I'm aborting all takeoff and we're getting it to a maintenance hangar as quickly as we could. I, I couldn't recreate it funny enough. So I, I, I ran it up again. Uh, I, I applied full power, um, you know, held the brakes, of course. I, I couldn't recreate it. So uh, I asked Tower, you know, I'd like to get back in line, so to speak, and uh, I take off again. Uh, so I got back in line. I took off again, and literally, there was no no other event. Um, you know, so everything worked out as intended from that point. So we took we took off. I landed in John Wayne, uh, Santa Ana, no issues. I literally thought nothing of the flight again until a few weeks go by, and I get a letter from Las Vegas FISDO in the mail uh, for my plane, and it has general aviation occurrence, November two Delta X ray. And it asked a series of questions. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like it seven great questions. They wanted to know about the pilot, which was me, of course. They wanted to know about the plane, and they wanted to know about um, what, what happened as a result. And I had no idea what a general occurrence was. I was like, I don't remember doing anything wrong. In fact, I think I did everything right. The whole point was, if you don't like, if you don't like what's happening, close throttles, right? I, I don't second guess a single decision I made. So I was very confused about why I was getting a letter from FISDO. So I went ahead and I uh, uh, Googled this. And this is the thing, actually. If you abort a takeoff, uh, it's a mandatory report from Tower and ATC to discuss this and disclose the FAA. I guess the whole idea is to find out in advance, are there any issues or systemic problems as a result of this? I had no idea going into it. So I, I, I responded. You know, I gave them my medical, gave them all the information they requested. And, you know, I, I got the email back a couple of days later from uh, FISDO saying, well, I'm going to recommend this case closed. That's pretty neat. I mean, I, I've aborted takeoffs several times, uh, pitot tube just clogged or, or I hate to admit it, forgot to take a pitot cover off before I 
did that one time when I was a, a younger pilot. Um, a lot of people have done that. And that's why you're checking airspeed alive when you're taking off and, and doing very thorough pre-flights with a checklist, but we're all human. We make mistakes sometimes. So by the way, a, a aborted takeoff should be a normal occurrence. Uh, it shouldn't be something you should be afraid of. You shouldn't be afraid of the paperwork after just like declaring an emergency. If you need to declare, you declare and uh, aborting a takeoff. I mean, you're doing that for a reason. Um, as a student pilot, we, we abort takeoffs all the time because we need to know what to do. What happens if you barely get airborne, you need to abort the takeoff in a 5,000 foot runway. You need to know you need to still fly the airplane to the ground and land. Uh, but obviously, if you're aborting a takeoff at a Bravo, which Anthony did, that's going to cause a bunch of other issues. It's not because it's causing an issue for him, because now he's still on the runway. Uh, it's causing an issue for everybody surrounding him. So when you go into a Charlie and a Bravo, they've got flows, they've got uh, set up times that, that planes are supposed to take off and land. Uh, they've got departure and arrival slots for large aircraft. That's why when you have a departure at a major airport in a, with American or Delta United, you typically have an exact time that you want to take off. It's not at 5.30 p.m. It's at like 5.37 p.m. That's what time you take off. And it's because of these flows. So when you're at a Bravo or a Charlie, more at a Bravo because I've aborted at a Charlie and I didn't have this issue before. Um, but if you're at a Bravo, it sounds like you need to abort your takeoff, you're disrupting all the flows, especially of a major busy airport. So they need to find out what, what this is going to do long term. And if it's going to affect the, uh, the airlines and, and, and if it'll affect the airport whatsoever. So, uh, that's why Anthony got this, uh, this phone call and, uh, and subsequent, uh, message or, uh, letter in the mail. Uh, so he probably disrupted the flow of everything just slightly. I'm sure it didn't cause major delays, but just slightly for two, three minutes. But that caused a cascade of events and it could cause uh, issues there. And it could also cause issues at other airports um, or airplanes in the sky. So congratulations, Anthony. You probably cost the airlines a couple million bucks for your uh, extra five minutes. I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's what you think about, right? I mean, I, I, I think anything with this, especially as a pilot, is a scary experience, right? Have no idea what to expect. And, you know, it's your license at the end of the day. So, I, you know, even, even when I was, you know, looking at this letter, I was like, wow, what did I do wrong? And, and I still, you know, I, I scratched my head. And, and I think that's maybe something that's a lesson learned for everybody else is I don't feel like I did anything wrong. You know, I did everything by the book as I see it, trained, the way I was trained, um, the way things make sense. Um, and, and I think, you know, you look at the accident reports and stuff like that time and again, you see pilots pushing that envelope, pushing the, Hey, something's not right. Well, let's go anyway. Uh, I, I would never do that for, as you said, just because of paperwork. And so hopefully the lesson people have is even if something goes wrong, don't worry about it. You know, you can always figure out paperwork. You can't figure out death. Correct. I mean, if you need to go hire an attorney to go deal with it, do that. I mean, it's worth, it's worth the money. It's not worth dealing with, with, you being dead or, or just getting hurt or hurting somebody else. I mean, it's not worth it. What if you would have taken off and then you overboosted that engine and it blew up and then you had a catastrophic depressurization and, or something like that could have happened at altitude or, or even just on climb out. And that could have hurt yourself or hurt others. So you 100% made the right choice on that aborted takeoff, uh, fly the airplane, aviate, navigate, communicate. You said it perfectly. And uh, I, I urge everybody to understand why that is. And those three words are not just three words that are randomly put there. They're three words in order. 
that are put there. So you want to fly that airplane from the ground uh, to the sky and back to the ground. Uh, that's what Aviate is. Um, and that even counts if you're not taking off with an aborted takeoff. Navigate, you need to get to wherever you're going. You need to get back to the ground if you just took off maybe five feet, right? And uh, communicate. After that all happens, then you can let them know the intentions of uh, whatever you're going to do. And who knows? There could have even been like a 737 at McCarran, whatever it's called, Harry Reid, right behind you that was holding holding short and waiting for you to take off. So that airplane could have been sitting there and kind of wondering what's going on too. So there's a lot of things that go into air travel uh, that we don't think about, and uh, and this just happens to be one of the one of the odd ones that uh, that happens. So I'm glad I'm glad this happened to you because um, I got to learn from it. <laughs> I got to learn from it. Now I know what'll happen. And uh, and since it happened to you, a lot of other people are now learning from it as well. Uh, all of our listeners. So it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, and it's nothing to be scared of. Um, you know, just some paperwork, just a couple of questions, but ultimately, um, not a big deal at all. And it's like Brian said, it's not something that we've ever had to experience. I've had the board takeoff before. Um, didn't have that happen, and that was a Delta, and it's happened at Charlie's for Brandon. Nothing's happened, so uh, it could just be he messed up that flow, and you know, people had questions. Could be anything. We don't know, um, but what we do know is nothing bad came of it. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Not at all. Since since we have a few more minutes uh, today, Anthony, I want to kind of talk about you recently did your longest cross country ever. I happen to be with you on the first leg. And we, we did our, our meeting uh, for Stratus Financial at our Austin office, which was fun. Um, were there any uh, any any things that were difficult about that flight on the way there? And I know you flew solo on the way back and we haven't even caught up on that. So or on the way back um, that we could kind of teach some of our uh, listeners about. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, it's one of those things, even with checklists, even with inspecting everything, things can still go wrong, right? As we, as we all know. Um, So I feel like in my pre-flights, it's pretty thorough. And, you know, a lot of things, especially as an aviator, you have to decide, is it still safe to proceed or not? And and so, you know, in the Aerostar, it's a pressurized airplane. And we took a look at everything. Everything looked good. You know, I I saw no issues, but as we, as we got above 10,000 feet or so, we were looking uh, with concern and it, the plane didn't seem to pressurize as well as it could. And, you know, notice that especially when, when um, uh, there's a door seal, you know, with, uh, with this plane and inflating it just seemed to take forever. So I didn't think anything of it on the ground, of course, but once we took off, we noticed that the, the pounds per square inch wasn't where it should be, you know, because we wanted a, a 2000 foot cabin at 10,000 feet and we really only get about 5,000 foot cabin at 10,000 feet. So as we continue to, to uh, take you know, to increase altitude, you know, I, I think the real concern I had, and Brandon, I think you shared it, but I want to speak for you, is can we really get to 25,000 feet and will this cabin pressurize? Um, that in itself is not dangerous, right? There's a couple of options, as you guys probably know, or if you're student pilots, you'll know very soon about what altitudes you can fly at safely without oxygen. Now, I also have oxygen on board. So the question really became, do we want to wear oxygen masks this entire time or not? And uh, I don't think I wanted to, Brandon, I don't think you did either. So that was an easy one to mix. Um, and, and so really what, what happened is we just adjusted uh, altitude um, from, um, from uh, ATC. So we were on an instrument flight plan. Uh, I, I, it's funny enough, and Brandon, we can talk about this too. I honestly prefer to fly instrument flight plans at this point in my career more than anything else. It's nice to be part of the system. Uh, I have a pretty good autopilot system where I don't have to think about it. You know, if I was hand flying this for five hours, maybe it'd be a different call, but I do like the comfort of, of being on IFR plan. 
And so, yeah, um, flew that one there. Uh, uh, you know, so we st- started to send. Um, the other, other issue comes down to part of the autopilot that we have in, in there. So uh, I guess maybe the downside of, uh, of planes, if you will, is you are stuck with what they are STC'd for as far as what has been proven to work with this plane. So I just got the Aerostar remodeled last year and comes with an STEC 3100. Uh, STEC is a great autopilot, by the way, and I don't think it's any, any um, reflection on them. But for some reason, the servos don't talk to each other. And so they can get out of alignment sometimes. And so there's also this, this if you will, up and down, if you will, going up uh, on, the, uh, on the autopilot a little bit, uh, which can be a headache. I can trim that out. But for some reason, once I trim it out and we have an even flying uh, capability, the 3100 seems to think that we're out of alignment and uh, it gets really mad. Yeah. And it ends up going up and down like a little roller coaster. And if you guys would have seen that video (laughs) that I just did, I took one of my little foam Stratus financial uh, airplanes and I was going up and down. I'm doing it again right now. So also on this trip, I have never actually used uh, supplemental oxygen besides just the little oxygen bottles for a little boost, make me feel a little better when I'm flying it. 11 or 12,000 feet. Uh, but this time we flew at a cabin pressure of, I think we were at 9,500 feet the whole time. Uh, and I just, I've never used onboard oxygen before. And Anthony, I don't think you have either, right? Mm-mm. I've played with it once uh, as part of my training. That's about it. Yeah. And I have never done it before. I never, I never used it before. I've flown a few planes that have onboard oxygen, but not really. So I said, Hey, do you have the mask in here? Let's try it out. We'll feel totally refreshed. And, uh, so we had one of our friends inside the back seat and he handed us, uh, the oxygen mask and we put them on and, uh, and we ended up using it and it was on demand oxygen. And, uh, we were just trying to figure out, well, how can we make the little thing on the bottom that, that the flight attendants always say may or may not inflate? How do we get it to inflate? And, and eventually I got mine to inflate and then Anthony got his to inflate too, but you just have to blow out a whole bunch of hot air and it'll inflate. So if you're ever wondering, <laughs> just blow a whole bunch of hot air, it'll inflate, but it was fun. It was the first time I ever got to use oxygen like that. So that was pretty neat. I really, really enjoyed it. And I felt great after I was like, wow, I need to use this all the time. <laughs> I know we had, we had those little issues on the way there, Anthony. Um, when you flew back, you flew IFR on the way back. Do you have any challenging weather you had to deal on your first long, extremely long cross country all by yourself? Oh yeah. You know, the nice thing is I dealt with weather before, but, uh, I can't remember Austin off the top of my head. I think, I think it was, uh, I mean, it was technically VFR because the cloud deck was under 4,000 feet. But, uh, you know, it was enough to where I knew I wanted to get up to 10,000 feet. So, so I followed IFR, of course, and, and that's, that's not, you know, uh, uh, it's pretty much a non-event for me at this point. Of course, I'm still current and I feel I'm competent and um, proficient in flying IFR. So that was no issue with me going there. But coming in, you know, so there was, there was a, a weather coming in. It was rainy. Um, so I'm, my plane is not FIKI certified, and that stands for flying in no nice. So wanted to make sure as I was going to icing reports, it was about 14,000 feet. I stayed at 10,000 feet flying back, but still there, there was a good amount of moderate turbulence along the way and, and, and just getting deviations where I can, you know, on an IFR plan, especially if you're seeing weather, um, you can request deviations from ATC. Uh, I deviated to the right a couple of times, to the left a couple of times. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was just, just bumpy weather. So I don't think passengers would have loved that one. Uh, but I was definitely wanting to get back Wednesday. And uh, so, you know, definitely some weather going in. Uh, uh, and then with, when El Paso, you know, it started clearing up uh, and I departed VFR to El Paso. That's a long flight. That's uh, 
that's a really long flight. It's longer than the ones I've been on, at least. Um, Brandon, I know you've had some comparable ones, even longer, but at least you don't like to brag in front of Anthony, uh, I can tell. Well, what what's funny is, Carson, your your long cross countries might actually have been longer, even though the miles were shorter. Anthony, what is your plane cruise at? Uh, 240 knots. Indicated or ground speed? Indicated. So if we can get up to 25,000 feet, we could probably get the 100 knot tailwind going east or, you know, maybe 100 knot headwind, which we would not go up that high, uh, going west. <laughs> there we go. See, it was, uh, I, I know we hit uh, 300 and I think 18 uh, knots uh, on the way out there, ground speed. So just a quick calculation, 318 times 1.15, that's 365 miles per hour. <laughs> That was absolutely insane. That was the fastest I've ever flown an airplane before. It was pretty cool. So, uh, and we were right on the, on that yellow arc, by the way. I mean, we didn't get close to the barber pole or the or the red, but because uh, it was starting to get a little bumpy. But we probably could have pushed it. I probably could have hit like three seventy. That would have been awesome. <laughs> so I would have been like, "What are you flying? Is that a Southwest airplane now?" <laughs> nope, unfortunately not. <laughs> Yeah, I've hit uh, I've hit about 180, and I was taking pictures every every knot it went up, just because I got so excited. So, I understand where you're at. Just um, about twice as fast, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, uh, Brandon, you just went you just went like as slowest you've ever gone. Um, you were sending me pictures of that flight. Oh yeah, we'll we'll talk about that Icon flight in a few days. But I think I hit 23 or 22 knots ground speed. It was brutal, brutal. I sent it to Anthony. He's laughing right now at me too. He's like. I can't believe how slow you're going. <laughs> yeah, you're sending pictures every uh, every knot slower. It reminds me of a, of a story when I was a student pilot, and I really feel like every student pilot that get the opportunity should do this. I, I was uh, training out of Riverside, uh, as I think people know, and uh, my CFI at the time we we were going up to uh, we were going from Riverside to Camarillo for my night cross country for my private pilot, and he, he, he took the controls and said, "Watch this." We go up to about sixty five hundred knots. And there's probably about a 45 knot headwind and we're in a Cessna. Um, so get in a slow flight and we're, we're doing, you know, as slow as we could. I think we're doing about 45 knots as well in the Cessna. It's like, and we look at the ground speed, we're going backwards five knots. <laughs> so if you ever, ever gets a chance to do that, it is just hilarious to think about. You're actually still flying a plane, but you're going backwards. It's like a helicopter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Anthony, um, it's about time for us to wrap up. So I really appreciate you being on here again with us. Um, it's really cool that we got to learn something, um, especially that Brandon got to learn something, which, you know, um, just kind of shows that no matter how much you know, how many ratings you have, how many certificates you have, um, there's always something else to learn. So thanks for being on with us today, bud. Oh, thanks for having me. Are you kidding? It's always fun. Yeah, always learning. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Anthony. And uh, any of our listeners, if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, uh, you can reach us at uh, Brandon at AviationMentors.com or for Carson, it's Carson at AviationMentors.com. Also, please do not forget to hit follow and like, and of course, share above all on whatever streaming platform you listen to us on. If you can share us on Facebook groups and different things, we'd really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, we've had several people doing that recently, and uh, thank you so much for doing so. It's been fantastic. Um, you are a huge part of helping us grow this podcast and grow our aviation community and uh, just making better, safer pilots in the long run. So thanks, everyone, for listening today, and I'll see you soon. And as a wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.
See ya.